Thankful we thankful uh, didn't get anything worse, but feeling feeling very very good. So a little feverish last week, but uh, doing doing great now. So unshakable. The study in the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, let me start with this. Elizabeth Elliot. You might have heard of her. She had two husbands who. Uh, who died not, she didn't have two husbands at the same time. Let me clarify that. <clears throat> Elizabeth Elliot, who was twice widowed, and let me just say it that way. Her first husband was the famous missionary Jim Elliot. Her second husband was a well-known theologian. But after the death of her second husband, she was pondering really just all that had happened in her life and really was focusing in just on the basic tenets of the faith. The, the basics of, of what we believe. And she asked herself this question. What things have not changed, even though my husband has died? What things have not changed, even though my husband have died, has died? What a great question. And I think there's, there, as she was beginning to look at who God was, that was the, the question that surfaced because she needed Hope. You know, I'm sure Daniel, as, as we go through this, we're going to see this, but I'm sure Daniel, as a young Jewish boy, was asking a question just like this. He's hauled off, ripped away from his family, hauled off into a brand new place, Babylon. And uh, this foreign country, completely new to him. I'm sure in many ways he was asking that question, Lord, although everything has changed in my life, what has not changed? Uh, in many ways, the book of Daniel is actually Daniel's answer to that question. What has not changed? Everything in life has changed, may have changed, but God has not changed. The theme of the book of Daniel, if you read it from beginning to end, the theme that will surface is that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is a powerful God, and he, is, he oversees everything that happens on this earth. Daniel wrote the book of Daniel late in his life. He was a very old man at the time. And it seems to be written as an encouragement to the captive Jews. The Jews have been taken captive. And he writes to them after years and years and years of captivity. And I think the encouragement is through all the things he has seen in his life, the events that took place in his life and some of his friends, as well as all the prophecies that God gave him. And he kind of just lays this all out and he writes it for those people. And he says, now think about all this. Think about who's really in charge. Think who, about who's been behind this the entire time, from day one all the way till now. Not only is it an encouragement, I think, to the captive Jews, but it's also a warning to them and to us to not return to the same old ways that led to this problem in the first place. The fact that we are in a different land. The fact that we have been taken captive. Now we're going to talk through all those different things, but that really is the setting. It's the, it's the thing that undergirds uh, the book of Daniel. But to really understand the, the, what's going on in the book of Daniel, we need to know the historical setting. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the historical setting for the book of Daniel. <clears throat> and to do that, we're not going to look at Daniel quite yet, the book of Daniel. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. So if you'd go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, because this really is what's taking place at the very beginning 
of the book of Daniel. And there are three statements I'm going to give that I think describe the reason that Israel was in this miserable state, or Judah was in this miserable state that it was in. We're going to see that here in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And this is the, this is the world that Daniel lived in. This is the life that he had before he went into Babylon. If we understand the life that Daniel was living, we're going to understand the book of Daniel a whole lot more. The things he was experiencing, the things he was going through, we'll get a whole lot more out of this. So let's read through this. And the first thing I want to let you know is we're going to see here in this, in this portion is failing leaders. Failing leaders, failing leadership. The, Daniel had to deal with a lot of failing leaders in his life. And we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through this, and then I'm going to try to explain it and wrap it up at the very end, okay? Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's stead in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And the king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned the land in a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem and turned his name into Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. Don't worry, we'll, we'll figure this out in a minute. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Let's remember that. Let's read that verse one more time. Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations, which he did, and that which was found in him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And when the year was expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah, oh, I'm behind, aren't I? Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. All right, so here we are, between 609 B.C. and 586 B.C. So remember, when we're talking about B.C., we go go downhill. So 609 B.C. to 586 B.C. And the people of Judah, Jerusalem, they're suffering a serious lack of leadership. That's what this passage is telling us. Wicked king after wicked king is established on the throne. They're being tossed around by powerful foreign nations. And I want to help us understand what actually was going on. So uh, I, I'm not, I know no one in here, you're not children, but um, 
But this helps me a lot, and we, you know, somebody asked, are we going to do leading from the couch? We are. I get a little bit going to do leading from the couch, something I would do maybe with kids. But this is very, very helpful, okay? So I brought with me some little kings, and I brought my map over here. I'm going to help us get this in our heads, what actually just took place in that passage. So bear with me. Have a good attitude. Here we go. (laughs) Jerusalem. Uh, is here. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Jerusalem, Israel. This is, I already kind of drew this out. Babylon is the Babylonian Empire here, the Egyptian Empire here. Nico, we found, we saw him in there. Nico is the king of Egypt. Nico is in charge in Egypt. They're a world power at this time. Nebuchadnezzar, he's in charge over in Babylon. So now these world powers are battling over all the land in the whole area. Nico uh, comes in and he takes over Jerusalem, and now the, the, the king at the time is this Jehoahaz. So Jehoahaz, he's there, and he's, uh, he's the Bible says, here, let's look at these verses. Uh, verse, verse 2, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign. He reigned three months, and verse 3, and the king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned the land in a hundred talents of silver and gold. What we find out in some other places is, I'll move myself over here, we found out a couple places is that Jehoahaz is probably more pro-Babylonian and anti-Egypt. Egypt, because they are in control right now at this time, they, he, this, the king, Nico, does not like Jehoahaz, and so he hauls him off to Egypt. Jehoahaz dies in Egypt eventually. But in his place, Nico puts his, Jehoahaz's brother in charge, and that is Jehoiakim. His name was Eliakim. He changes it to Jehoiakim. He puts him in charge. Jehoiakim is now in charge. They're both sons of Josiah, and neither one of them followed their, their dad's faith. And that's probably one of the most sad things when you think about a lot of these kings. Here we have a king, both kings, who did not follow in their father's good steps. And by the way, it's a fight for every Christian to stay faithful, whether you have good Christian parents or you don't have good Christian parents. It is a fight for every person to just keep walking with the Lord. Jehoiakim, he... He's, he's on the throne now, but while he's on the throne, in the several years that he's on the throne, Babylon now takes over. Nebuchadnezzar beats Nico. Nico no longer has the power in the area. Now Nebuchadnezzar does, and so Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he hauls Jehoiakim off to Babylon, and along with some other people. Now, First, Cor- or First Chronicle, or Second Chronicle, excuse me, what we just read a few minutes ago, Jehoiakim, it said, did many abominations. In, in Israel is a very, very wicked king. He, one of the, the godless um, worship in, in the house of God, worshiping false idols in God's house was one thing and many other wicked things. Um, so he, he rejected the bad, the bad examples of his father, or he did not reject that, excuse me, and he just carried on in the way he wanted to go. So Jehoiakim gets hauled off. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I'll, I'll let you go back, but, uh, but you're not going to be king. So eventually we see other places in Scripture that Jehoiakim did actually die in, while he was in Jerusalem, but he died a dishonorable death. Instead, uh, Nebuchadnezzar places this guy Jehoiachin in charge, and, and he was young, but he was, he was king for just a short time. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar does not like that, so he comes back in, takes over, 
removes him and hauls him off to Babylon along with thousands and thousands of people. Now, the very first time Nebuchadnezzar had come in, he hauled a lot of uh, captives into Babylon as well. And that's when Daniel came over. Daniel came in one of the first waves of Israelites that were, that were brought into Babylon. Um, and again, Jehoiachin just continued to follow in the ways of his father, and he eventually died in Babylon. So now, Nebuchadnezzar says, fine, I'm going to put another guy in charge. This time it's going to be this guy, Zedekiah. I'll go back to Babylon here. Zedekiah is actually another son of Josiah, so he's a brother of Jehoahaz. And he expects, again, just a vassal king. Babylon's in charge, but I'll just put you there. Very few people actually still left in Jerusalem and in the area. And this is when Jeremiah the prophet comes to this king. And he says, listen, you need to make sure that you just humble yourself, come under Nebuchadnezzar's lead for now, and don't rebel. Uh, This is what God says. This is what God wants you to do. It'll be over. But Zedekiah decides that he's going to go back to people of Egypt, see if he can... Uh, build another army and rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar hears about it and says, that's it, I'm done with these people. (laughs) I'm done with Jerusalem, I'm sick of it, I'm taking them out. And he takes him out, hauls him off. Then this time he comes in and completely decimates Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar does. Nebuchadnezzar tears down all the walls, he ruins the temple, Uh, he, he leaves very, very, very few people in Judah really the very poorest of people and the outlying farms and just destroys everything he possibly can. In the middle of all this, what he's doing is he's also taking the vessels or the, the precious um, and sacred pieces of furniture in God's temple and he's hauling it to Babylon and he's putting those sacred pieces of the temple in a false, uh, in a, in a t- false temple. And and there you have it. So those four kings of Israel, the, the tale of four kings that would not submit to God. And God then allows all of this to take place. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's in charge, but he's not. Zedekiah, that last king, I want to look at this real quick. And this is really a synopsis, if you will, probably of all the kings. I just want to remind ourselves the kind of way that they lived. Verse 12 again. And he, that is Zedekiah, but really it's for all of these guys. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. So what we really see in these verses is that God was very merciful to send warnings. God was very merciful to send Jeremiah. And it wasn't just Jeremiah. There's actually quite a few prophets during this time. Habakkuk was one of them, and there were some others. But during this period, a lot of God's men would come speaking God's words and try to convince these kings to follow the Lord. Turn from your wicked ways. Follow the Lord, and he wants to bless you. But they would not. And just like these leaders, the people were stubborn as well. So that's what we see next. We see failing leaders, and then we see stubborn people. This is what Daniel's living through. Daniel's getting hauled off. He's a young man. He's very young at the first uh, wave. 
And he's experiencing this world where all of his people are just walking away from God. 2 Corinthians 36 and verse 14. Moreover, all the chief priests, so that we're talking about the religious leaders and the, and the people, transgressed, listen to this, very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. Again, they're worshiping false gods, but they're not just worshiping false gods. They're worshiping false gods inside the house of the Lord with wicked ritualistic practices inside God's temple and even in their homes. And on the, it says in the book of Jeremiah, one of the things they were doing is they have these wicked ritualistic practices on the roofs of their houses. By the way, Jeremiah told them that that's one of the reasons that God is going to destroy your houses. You're going to do those wicked things at your houses? I'm going to des- God's going to destroy your houses. These people were wicked, wicked, wicked. And the Lord God of the fathers sent to them by his messengers, that's all the prophets, rising up, be times, and sending. Why did God do that? Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God is a very merciful God. God is a very compassionate God. He waited and waited and waited for these people to listen, to hear, to follow, to turn around. What did they do? Verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused the prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Wow. Until there was no remedy. There is no more remedy. There comes a point with people, and only God knows this point, where there is no remedy left for them. And only a full-scale judgment of God will get people back on track, or they will die in their sins. And only God knows that point, but there does come a point. God's people started out slowly moving toward the ways of the heathen. It looks good, and pretty soon they're drawn in, and then as we saw in these verses, they transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. You name the sin, they were doing it. They transgressed they, all, all the abominations of the heathen. The same thing all of them were doing, all of God's people were doing. Everything the world was, uh, was into, God's people were into. Yeah, I actually read recently in, in southern Israel, they, this is one of the big findings of 2020, of uh, uh, archaeological finds. On one of the altars that was actually used to worship God, um, and this dates back to the 8th century BC, so actually would have been a couple hundred years before what we're talking about. They discovered on this burnt surface of the altar, they were testing some of the substances on there, and they found marijuana Whoa. right there on God's altar. This, and I, I, I will tell you, I'm not sure what that means, <laughs> and they, they weren't conjecturing everything, but that's very suspicious to me. And again, I will just... I will just tell you, you name the sin. They were doing it. You name it. You don't think there was drugs back then? There was major drugs back then. The worship of all that was very prominent. I imagine that back then, things were very much like they are today. The world makes, begins to make evil. 
seem normal. Evil seem even good. And then good seem evil. The heathen, God's people looking at the heathen, they seem to be getting away with it. Everything seemed to be fine. Why can't we do what they're doing? Evil practices that they're doing start to become just commonplace. And then all of a sudden you have these prophets and you have God's men coming in, speaking the word of God, warning them, trying to convince them. And what happens, as we saw there, they, they are mocked. The messengers of God are mocked. They're despised. They're misused. And, and they, people just marginalize those guys. And I just, you, again, you just sense so much of what was, what's happening now. You just read it on the pages of Scripture. Many people who call themselves Christians right now are falling in line with the world's way of thinking on so many different areas. For example... This, this guy who's running for senator in Georgia, this uh, Reverend Warnock, I don't even know why he's called a reverend. This is ridiculous. He's, he has blatantly wicked and anti-God views, very anti-Bible. Uh, he, mock, he actually openly mocks Christians that believe that God is against homosexuality and against abortion. I mean, openly just says, I cannot wait. He, he said, he was speaking to a homosexual group, and he told them, I cannot wait to go to the Senate floor and shut down the bigotry against LGBTQ people there. And this is a guy as a reverend at an Ebenezer Baptist Church or something like that in, in Atlanta. I, I just, I can't understand uh, how anybody who reads the Bible or anybody who understands Christianity can see, can't see what's going on. Even with this COVID stuff, to hear some people talk right now, it would almost seem evil to go to church. It would almost seem like you're doing, you're doing a bad thing by going to church. Man, we have to be really careful how we view things, really careful how we see things. Are we viewing it through the lens of the Word of God? Or are we viewing it through the lens of what everybody else is telling us? The worst thing we could possibly do is to capitulate and give in to what the world is saying. And as so just a reminder for all of us, we cannot do evil in the sight of the Lord, even though it may be righteous in the sight of people. I mean, they actually might think it's right to do something where God says, that's evil. Don't do it. So this nonstop wickedness, this idolatry, forced God to do the only thing that he could do with his people. I've tried to send messengers. I've tried to warn you. I've tried to do everything that I can to, 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 get, to, to remedy the situation, but now there is no remedy. The only thing I must do is to allow some of you to die and many of you to be taken captive. But remember this, that these people were already in captivity long before they were ever taken to Babylon. (laughs) The common pattern, and it still is today, spiritual bondage precedes mental and physical bondage. It all begins in our hearts. It all begins when our spirits, once our spirits are in bondage, pretty soon you can just write it down. The handwriting's on the wall, which is also in Daniel, um, that, that that's going to happen. So now we come to God's actions in light of all this. Let's look at that. In Second Chronicles 36, God says what he's going to do. So really this is the setting. Failing leaders, stubborn people, but a truth-telling God. And God is always truth-telling. Everything that he says will come to pass. Second Chronicles 36, verse 17. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men, this is Nebuchadnezzar, with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, 
old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. That is, God delivered all of his people into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. That is 70 years. That'll be a prominent figure as we go through the book of Daniel. But one of God's laws that he had had from the, very, from the time of Moses, one of the laws is that every seven years is a sabbatical year, is a year of Sabbath. And for the ground. So you're not supposed to plant things in, that, in your... In your ground, every seven years, you let it lie dormant for one year. And in their history, since Moses, Israel had very rarely kept that law. It was just something they, man, I, I, can't, I can't waste a year. I need to keep my money coming. I need to keep my stuff coming, on, uh, coming in. So now God is saying, I am going to force a Sabbath on this land. And this Sabbath is going to last not seven years, or not one year, not seven years, but I'm going to make it last 70 years because my land needs rest. It needs, the point that God is making here is really a spiritual point. We need, this land needs to rest from the ravages of sin and the ravages of war and violence and hatred and wickedness. I've got to let this land rest. So I am taking all of you out of it. And this is the way that we're going to have peace. And actually, God promised that this would happen. He told Jeremiah to tell them, as he said here, but also look in Leviticus chapter 26. I want to point this out to you. Verse 33, and I will scatter you. He said, he's giving the warnings. If you don't obey in the land that I've given you, I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate and ye be in your enemies' lands, or land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. The people had gone too far. The land desperately needed peace. Peace. It needed a reset. God had to reset all his people. Sometimes I feel like 2020 was God doing that. Reset button on the world. I am gonna. I'm gonna do some sabbathing. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put some put some things right. Make some things right. And God has no problem. And I want to point out this out here because this is very uh, interesting. What it would look like to the people, the surrounding nations. But God has no problem bringing and bringing judgment when He must, even if it makes God look weak for a while, and people misunderstand what He's doing. See, there's no doubt how the people of the, the heathen nations would view this whole situation. They see what's happening. They see Nebuchadnezzar keep coming in, hauling these guys off. They see Babylon coming in and completely decimating Jerusalem. And they think, 
To them, it looked like Israel's God is, is unable to save them from the mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. It looks like to the rest of the people that Israel's God is a weak God. He can't protect them. This is actually why Nebuchadnezzar would take all those sacred things out of the temple and put them in his temple. Uh, the, his temple of the god Marduk of Babylon. He would take them and say, see, your God could not protect you. And now all these little features are going to be right here in my temple to Marduk. He's the more powerful God. But God is willing for this to happen for a while. He's willing for people to think like this so that he could stay faithful to his word by the prophets and so that he could awaken these people out of their sleep, their spiritual slumber. So when you look at the whole thing and we ask the question, who really won here? Who's the winner? For a while, it looked like the Egyptians were the winner and they thought they were the winners. But pretty soon the Babylonians came and took over and the Babylonians thought they were the winners. Nebuchadnezzar definitely thought he was the winner for a while. And Israel, they're getting hauled off. They think they're the losers. But God, and this is what Daniel writes in the book of Daniel, God is actually winning the whole time. (laughs) He's actually putting this all together. He's the one behind this. And it's all for a great reason. He was working something out so that his people, in the end, 70 years later, could be the winners. And he's doing this so that they would repent, that they would turn around, they would follow him, and they would again be back on his side. And that's really what Daniel's trying to prove. As I close here, I just want to mention this. As we think back in our history in America, even from, from May to September 1787, the American Constitutional Convention was meeting in Philadelphia. And the, the, the reason they were meeting was to figure out and to to develop a system of government for this new nation. And late in June, uh, this is after lots of talks, progress was very slow, and they're trying to figure out how, what they're going to do. And Benjamin Franklin stands up, and he addresses George Washington and everybody else listening. And Benjamin Franklin said these famous words. He said, I have lived a long time, sir, A long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. That God governs in the affairs of men. God governs in the affairs of men. Then he went on to suggest that uh, they should invite local pastors to come in and lead them in praying for guidance in this new nation. And you know... I think, I think all of us could say that for a fact. Not only do we see it on the pages of Scripture, but in the end, today in 2021, this very day, God is still governing in the affairs of men. He is in control. He's not off of the throne. No matter what things look like, no matter, no matter, what, no matter what world events may be taking place right now that seems like that God may be losing. He is not losing. He is winning. And He's making sure that His people... Uh, who follow him are winners as well. Our, our duty simply is just to submit to God, isn't it? That is our, our one, and, one and only duty. So this morning, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this amazing uh, account of, Lord, what you have done. Lord, you are not off of the throne, and you still govern in the affairs of man. Lord, we know that you are here. Lord, you are leading 
Lord, it is, there is no king above you. And so, Father, we submit to that. We thank you, Lord. And I pray, God, that there would not be any sin, Lord, or any wickedness that we're being drawn into, Lord, that we would not repent of and turn around, Lord, so that you would not have to uh, bring judgment into any of our lives, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are a God of holiness. And Lord, help us to follow you and tell others about you and submit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Lord bless you. Yeah.